goes by Hoa Hotea Bars by Maju Kalea Mata Hava Papa. I can't remember. I only have a vague memory of a woman living here with me, but it's a fleeting glimpse into my torrid past, or only a figment of my imagination I cannot see. The only thing that I can say with all certainty that I do not I do nothing but sit here in my run down apartment, never being able to leave, as I have no key to the door. This insulation is further enhanced by the heavy chains that bar my way. I do not know why they are here. I do have a few DVDs that lie caked in thick layer of dust on my coffee table. Have I unable to watch them? As my television is broken. I can't even remember the last time it worked properly. My television doesn't work either. Whatever that I picked it up, I hear nothing but static that echoes throughout the extensive caverns of my empty life. The only thing I can actually do is play the mental menial computer games that always seem to appear on my desktop games that consistently change throughout the day. The first one appears to be some sort of colour matching game. Red, blue, green, yellow, blue or orange. I click lethargically in the dull orbs. All the while I stare out my window at the lush green fields alive beyond my complex. I realise as I learn as I listen to the soft comforting sounds of birds and contenting flit and fro among the branches of the trees, their gentle chirps resounding through the air. As they do so, it's only a glimpse of freedom that I have. I hear an electronic ping come from my computer. So I tear my eyes away from the window to look down upon at the screen. I must have beaten the game. The colours begin to spin, rotate about themselves, quickly turning from a ring to varying shapes into a sickly green messiah of swinging, swirling chaos. I chuckle softly to myself at the irony. Suddenly, as I am distracted by the sound of something dropping through the mail slot on my door, this surprises me. I never seen any sort of mail before. I run quickly over to the door, hoping to catch the mailman before he leaves. I even start a conversation with him through the mail slot as a state of my desperation. But alas, I am must have been too late. I can see nothing but the faded red paint of the door and sits slowly across from my own. Feeling somewhat jaded by this, I turn my attention to a humble brown package that lies at my floor. I carry it back to my couch and begin so slowly to begin slowly to open it. I lessly hope it's a letter for a gift from someone, anyone, family, friend, stranger. I don't care. A parchment falls for a to reveal nothing more than the only brand code scanner that likes that which are found at any local store. <coughs> Grocery store. Thinking it was delivered to the wrong person, I threw it against my wall with a fit of anger and frustration. I lay on my head in my hands as I crept once more into the familiar embrace of loneliness and depression. After a fairly significant amount of time spending wallowing my own self-pity, I look up again. The scanner must have been accidentally triggered by my throw as I see the red beam resting upon the spine of one of my old forward mentioned cake DVDs. As I go to 
pick up the scanner. I noticed something peculiar on the screen. So I don't read the name and price of the DVD. At least something along those lines. It simply reads, Hey, hey. This, though, confuses me, as I never expected to see something this strange from the simple, unassuming bars of black and white. After some time spent pondering these events, I began to develop a theory. I reasoned that one of these barcodes held some strange sort of strange message that perhaps the others would do too. Would too. I began to scan everything I find in my department. From the rest of the DVDs, the blank white bottle and pills, a rest ominously in my medicine cabinet, a purpose which escapes me. After scanning some barcodes, I begin to see some sort of message take place. A fed, feed, it'd be ape, a all the gibberish to me are funny. Go to the only item that remains unscanned, the lone can soup them seems to be potentially full upon the shelf in my kitchen. I expected to find some nonsensical letters to add to my collection. Confusing collection, however, this one was more di- different coherent. It read, it reads window. After a few minutes I spent wondering like this, I decided. It must be a reference to the window above my desk. It's the only one in my apartment. I secretly phone. Because I always try to open the window. It passed only to find it sealed, with no apparent looks of means of unlocking it. I decided to try the window anyway. And to my surprise, it opens. I begin to inwardly rejoice, thinking I'm the verge of escaping from this hell that it was long entrapped me. I suffer a moment that was funny, and I will finally be reunited with the outside world. But not, but not, but not, but it is not to be. Instead of a blessed breath of fresh air, I'm greeted by a cold, hard floor of cement. As I enter the secret room behind my window, I immediately walk p- past the beautiful painting of lush green field. I walk past the correct skate player, the calm chirping of birds set to play. To the endless loop, I find myself face to face with a court board that completely covered my faded yellow scraps of paper. One, one field of multiple of these familiar barcodes. I scan and a message begins to take place. Have tea as I scan even every scrap of paper. I funny, my, I funny, funny. I have upset my, I have, and funny. I have my obsession. A complete message in my grasp. It reads, they have fed you nothing but lies. Escape while you can. I laugh aloud at the invocation of absolute absurdity of the situation, but a clanging sound coming from in my apartment distracts my dark reverie. I return to find the chains so long, so long barred my way was had fallen in the floor, and the deadbolt was turned itself into the lock. I was finally free. I can finally return to my normal society. As I pushed through the portal, I was greeted by a dark and ominous hallway. Electric lights flicker and spike. Spark! It is about to burst at any moment. I take a stock of my surroundings. I notice the door but besides my own. One is sealed shut with multiple of balls and nails. Another is completely bricked over the hastily over cement work, which dripping down and hardened upon the floor. Far after the door, at the door I see a cross of mine. I can see through its mail slot devoid of any of all furnishings. The yellowed wallpaper is pinning around the edges. I look down to my right and finally, uh, and, and see a long, dimly light hallway. It stretches further than I can make out. 
I take a deep breath and begin to the slow march down the hallway. After walking for what feels an eternity, I happened upon a yellowed scrap of paper resting upon the floor, its face bearing yet another of those familiar bars of black and white. Is any person truly free, stuck by some pang of fear? I drop the scrap and continue with nervously all my way. I walk a little bit more and I find another scrap. It is so yellowed at all the ink is barely readable upon it. Is any person truly sane? I panic now and begin to run. I don't care what, where I'm going. I just want to escape from the dark, posing walls that seem to mock me at every step. I still continue to run as the walls begin to twist and spiral, taking, taking on conceivable shapes. It sees that I'm running forever, never to escape this prison. This hell has been had me trapped for an eternity within its grim drawers, lakes of which been manifested by Satan himself. I continue to run. I write to you now. Finally escape from the confines of my prison. I finally look out of my window at the people who follow to and fro, their children and their pets, all the obvious oblivious to life changes, even if it begins to rain. They simply lie out of others over their picnic tables. They always find nothing allow nothing to interrupt their quiet, peaceful Sunday. These joyous scenes of normality bring me great peace. I need, I need only to look past the iron bears and just stand in my window and look, block my view. All the while, being wrapped snugly within the warm, comforting arms of my straight jacket. Roseman, how are host here? Behind the mirror. The term mirror, they are referring to what is known as a plain mirror. This object takes the light that hits it and reflects back in back. Those used for common consumer purposes are not of this sort. A mirror is essentially a highly reflective surface. The type that the people are see on walls and or in bathrooms are known as black back silvered mirrors. This means that a reflective surface in the most modern ones, this is aluminium, is viewed through a thin layer of glass. The glass protects the aluminium from scratching and bubbling, but also distorts the image somewhat. Early mirrors are created by the simply polishing a suitable substance until it became highly reflective. Examples from the Neolithic area have been discovered, made by grinding down obstained rocks and polishing them to an incredible sheen. They are remarkable properties allowing even subtle details to be clearly seen in their reflection. Modern ones are made using an entirely different process, allowing liquid metals to condense on a sheet of glass can provide a surface far more reflective than anything achieved by polish. I sit in my room, uh, surrounded by shelves full of ancient books on the occult. Occult is the knowledge of the hidden or knowledge of the paranormal, as opposed to facts, and knowledge of the measurable, usually referred to as science. The term is something times taken to mean knowledge that is meant only for certain people, or that may, must be kept hidden, that 
for most practicing occultists is simply the study of deeper spiritual reality and extends pure reason of physical science. The terms historic and archaic can be also used to describe the occult. In addition to these near meetings unrelated on to the paranormal, to the supernatural, wondering when will I finally be released from this living hell? It seems so long ago now that I ended up in this prison. 1886, Carl Benz the I, successful gasoline-driven automobile. Charles Martin Hall produced the first examples of man-made aluminium. After several years of intensive work, he assisted in his project by older sister, Ju- Julia Bennett Hall. I am looking for a present for my beloved wife, Enid. It will be soon be the most romantic day of the year, 14th of February, St. Valentine's Day. And Vito Disabankadurid, St. Valentine, Italian, St. Fudilado, Latin, Ventilis, officially St. Valentine of Rome, was widely regarded, was widely recognized in 3rd century Rome, when St. commemorated on 14th February, and since the Middle Ages is associated with the tradition of courtly love, I caught the in the corner of my eye, a mirror surrounded by figures of imps, horns, intertwined with thorns of roses, inside a nearby shop. After I brought the mirror, I take it home and take it and give it a good clean. Whilst I am in the process of doing so, I hear a soft voice inside my brain saying, Please let me out. Repeatedly, I feel a tingling sensation all over my body. It must be my imagination or tiredness. The mirror is still all shining, looking new, and showing its best features. I shall hang it on the wall, so my beloved Enid will get her surprise on her return from seeing her mother, who was ill with the flu. I place the mirror on the wall. I go to turn away, but I find my legs are unable to move. Fear and dread enter my head. Suddenly ghostly arms come out of the mirror. I am pulled into the mirror. My skin is tearing off my bones. I scream to no avail. I now totally pulled in the mirror, sitting on a chair as a human-like creature, smiling at me as it opens its mouth. I can go out to play now. The creature puts on its, my shredded skin, walks towards me, and places pieces of cracked grass in my, blood, in my blood, tendons showing hand. I remain unable to move before I go, says the creature, who looks at me. I'd like to say thank you for releasing my, me from my enchanted mirror. It'll be your turn soon, one day. So here I am, in my room, waiting for my time to, to play the end. Ghostman Horror Host here, green-eyed boy. The police are across the street. Carl stood in front of the bed for, bed for Rendo face covered in white shaving cream, an orange razor in one hand. The room was full of white warm stream, with long shower he had taken, but after his wife's statement, he had gone cold. He knocked on, she knocked on the door again. Did you hear what I said? At the Daniel's house? Yes, she said. There are lots of them. In other words, hurry up. I thought of the black notebook we kept in the dro- black bottom drawer of his desk. The journal of dead animals, Carl was trembling. 
Her kitchen smelled like bacon. A plate of cooked strips was on the table, covered with paper towels, was glistened with grease. Saturday nut breakfast, eggs, hash browns, toast, bacon. Was their tradition? Julie stood at the windows. Peering across the street, he joined her. Morning, he said, giving her shoulders a squeeze. Two police cars are parked out in front of the Daniels house. Another a sleek grey colour with no light bar on top was angled in the driveway. A detective's car, he thought. Oh, the coroner. That's pretty old. Old, he said. One of them might have passed. Are you going to check? He nodded. Where's the kiddo? Sleeping in. Carl grabbed his coat from the mudroom and exited the house. It was getting colder. The furnace needed an inspection. Probably some repairs. Need to get that done before too long, he thought as he left the front of the yard. Cold cars at the neighbourhood's house. Never meant something good had happened. When they bought the house the Daniels had been in, the first to welcome them. They become friendly acquaintances. Carl's peculiarities had never pushed them away, making them true friends. He hoped everything was okay. A cop car was black and white emblems on the door. Why did they make them so anonymous? He stepped inside the Daniel's walkway and saw the group inside of the house. The Daniels, both white-haired and stooped over with age, stood next to the two officers, a man in a suit, Bobby Detective. They formed a semicircle around something in the ground on the ground. Carl approached, walking heavily, so they had heard his they said he heard his footsteps. Everything, everything okay? Stupid question. Old man, Daniels waved, stepped away from the circle. Carl saw the dog. Barbie saw what was left of her. She lay in a heap, blonde for her, matted in a case of blood. Parts of internal angles lay in the top of her carcass. She had been gutted. All that remained whole was her face, and she started into nothing. Eyes vacant, dull and dead. Oh no, Carl said. Something got hold of my dog. The old man said, Carl drained the circle, but only for a moment black flies hovered over the dog corpse. One landed on something white, a sharp piece of b- broken bone, maybe. Carl's stomach flip-flopped. He backed away. You hear anything last night? The detective asked. I heard the dog barking, but not like he was being hurt. One of the neighbors, he looked over a few years older than Carl said, I am calling this one code WTF. Indeed. Carl shoved a forkful of scrambled eggs into his mouth. He covered them with hot sauce and splotches of red, like watered-down blood. Against pale yellow egg triggered Carl's gagway fix. So what happened, Julie said, asked. Something killed the dog. Julie sucked a breath, a breath and covered her mouth in that gesture. He knew she knew. No way, Carl said. Toy inside out, Carl said. Must have been a wild animal. I want to see, Carl's chair groaned as he backed up from the table. You may not, Carl said. You're wanted a house full of children, a tribe of noisy boys and girls. They've been in plan when they bought the fix of upper in Manabuda, I'm not a little boy, Carl said. That's true, he was twelve years old, almost a teenager. I'm old enough to see that crap like that. I don't want you to, Carl said. It's nothing you want to look at, believe me. Judy put both hands on her shoulders, a detective touched, touched it, keeping it in the chair. You had enough bad dreams already, honey. 
children had been in their, hadn't been in their destiny. Judy could be, get pregnant, but her body rejected each baby. A womb cast them out, a plane a little worse each time, but Carl survived. He was their sandy-haired miracle, this handsome green-eyed boy. Carl sat down at the table. The smell of breakfast, however, made his head spin. Later, when Carl locked himself into his room, he took Julie by the hand. He closed the bedroom door quietly so the boy couldn't hear. It's happening again, he said, his voice a little a tight whisper. What are we going to do? Don't be ridiculous. He was at home. I sat with him for at least two hours. The shock was gone. She had come. She had time to find denial. A lock onto it like a life preserver. What time was that? Around three or five, she said. He wasn't roaming the neighborhood all right. And after he had bad dreams, yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. When Carl has nightmares, bad things happen. In Montreal, when Carl was ten, dogs had died, not died, been butchered. And, uh, that was more like it. A pulled behind his tool shed, a pug on a, someone's perch. Both had been shredded with, with ribbons of meat. As the murders went on, the neighborhood had blamed Carl. He was a weird kettle of lock, the one who faced the world with an intense, silent stare. Judy described his quiet look as one out of death for great vividity. He was a sensitive child, she'd say, and so very bright. Carl thought it was just plain. So he did. So did the other kids, he guessed, because they stayed away from Carl. You sound like one of those crazy people, mother told you. I've never seen a large dog before. At the end, if any of the kids had lived on the block, were capable of sneaking out in the middle of the night and turning someone's beloved bed in a bank of pile of guts. They reasoned it was him. He never left the house, not once, after bedtime. Back when his screams had woken them, both of them in his night terrors overwhelmed him, and his neighbours didn't believe that spooky-eyed Carl remained tucked in his bed at night. They pictured him hunting, sneaking into their yards, a silver night reflecting moonlight, and he went up about his work. It had always some it had always been something small. He had a Daniel's retriever. Would have weighed a hundred pounds, whatever it is, it's getting stronger. You said yourself it must have been a wild animal. You heard of coyotes at ten of them. But live close by. No coyote would torture a dog like that. But uh, some couldn't do, do it while he was asleep. You're crazy. He had it towards his conversation over. If it had been Beagle's death and frenzied the neighbours, a dog would die inside, and the neighbours couldn't stand the image of Carl breaking the entry to do his killing. He did not, but had he not, we not moved, Carl thought they would attack him with uh, bitches, torches and bitchfuls. Maybe they should have. I kept a journal of his bad dreams to console with the animal's death. I can show you it to you. His parents, it's your job to protect him, she said, just in case you don't, don't know that. Please, I know you love him. I love him too. Do you? Well, of course I do. And shut up about that stupid journal, please. A house in Evergreen was smaller, with one kid rather than a tribe and few bedrooms was all they needed. A house needed work, but he could do monks of the pairs himself. Best of all, next to a forest, he imagined taking coal on long walks amongst the trees to smell earth and trees, inspiring father and son talks. But it hadn't happened. Now, and now he told his boy, I can't, I want to talk to you, but a dog across the street. He wasn't normal for a boy to spend all his sat in his room, was it? Boys had small, small fat as friends, something to lure them into the well, but Carl, he'd emerged from his room. 
his eyes red from computer burn, as the sun began to set. Carl looked back his expression indifferently. What about her? Let's go for a walk, for just you and me. He put his arms around the boy's shoulders. Carl looked at him with a thin smile tugged at his lips. Where, when you were younger, before we moved, yeah, the neighbor's dogs got cleaned. It wasn't me then, and it wasn't me now. It's like, sorry, if you don't believe me. He said it was anything, but he said it without a change of expression. Anger could have been normal, the perfect kind of rage that accompanied denial. When an innocent person was accused of something monstrous, he said it all so matter of factly. I know you didn't mean to do those things, Carl began, aware that his arms were shaking. I can't help, I can't, would help Mackie, Macy. I love that dog, Macy, remember? That journal of dead animals? I also know that something very terrible wakes you up at night. As you have these dreams, terrible things happen. Do you realize that? Carl's feet snapped over twigs and fallen branches. Woods thickened here. A man could get turned around in these woods. Especially after dark, if the weather was cold enough, you would freeze to death of a mile from home. It would happen to a boy, too, especially one unfamiliar with the woods. I guess I do, he said. Can you tell me what you dream about? No. No, because you don't remember. Or because you don't want to. Honestly, don't know what I dream about. I know you don't believe me. Besides, I really talked about it all with Mum. This with Mum. If you, if you dream with some, if you dream, if you dream of something vicious, something that he wants to cause harm, maybe you control it. Dad, Carl said, stepping from under him, you wouldn't hurt me, would you? I mean, you wouldn't dig a hole out here, drop me in it, would you? I really don't. Wouldn't do anything. At, didn't know anything, seriously. God knows, he said, and shoved his hand, shaking hand deep into his pockets. Carl glazed at him with his green eyes, shone like emeralds, like gemstones, they showed no fear. Okay, good. I would never hurt you, he said. Would you hurt me or your mum? Can we go back inside now? It's getting cold. Sure, he said. Answer my mum, my question first. Never, he said. I swear it. He returned to house. Father and son, Carl wondered if Carl couldn't remember what he dreamed of. What there was, had he talked about with his mother? The traffic's first, the, the, year, the year's first snow arrived later that week. Carl worked late, waiting out, waiting out of the traffic and got home late. I invited Daniels over for dinner this Friday, he said. She said, and they're busy, so now they're friendless again. The heat is on the frizz, he added, changing the subject. He's been on an awful day. I look at it this weekend, he said. Nothing died for a while. Because of that, denial came easy. Carl watched Julie dote on the boy. She spoke to him in sweet, hushed tones, one hand in the small of his back. You should be get, we, you, what should we get him for his birthday? She asked one night. All the years of longing for a child made her immune to him. He'd been asking for a couple of new video games. I remember, I don't remember which one. Carl rolled to his side. All the game, those games are violent. A little violence is normal for a boy of his age. He saw nothing but beauty in his strange green eyes. Carl worked late as often as he could and drove home longer after dinner was over. Sometimes he worked until exhaustion and dumped him and spent hours awake in bed, staring into the dark, listening for the bark of those frightened dogs. Carl turned 13, he wrapped the presence of metaphysical care. He bought for, um, 
They bought him video games he wanted, a couple of sweaters, new jeans and an expensive pair of shoes. Do you love your presents, sweetie? Julie asked him. I do, he said, smiled back at her green eyes ablaze. But maybe he should have got a new puppy. Carl said, you always wanted a dog. We own, hadn't you? Carl looked at his mother, then shook his head. No, not since I was little. He scooped up his new belongings. Carl heard his bedroom door shut a moment later. What was that comment all about? Oh, he wanted a dog at one time, that's all. You know what he's talking about. How will you bring that up? What if it ruined his birthday? She left him alone. Carl watched cable in the living room. One minus program up the other. On his way to bed, he saw a silver light from Carl's door. He passed the doorway and listened. He heard any silence. Carl opened the door. He saw Carl kneeling on the floor. Boy, boy, only boxes. His pale string was wrapped by ribbons of shadow. So thick they looked like tar. Back straps clung to his flesh. Knife-like points stuck to his bony, shorty blades, retreated whenever it is in the darkness under Cole's bed. Cole thought it looked like a pair of octopuses going to the lair. Hi, Dad, the boy turned, looked at him with a small smile, smile spreading through his white teeth. Cole blinked a fluid quickness, coldness washed from him. Cole's bedroom lamp glowed in yellow, warm yellow. No monstrous shadows lurked anywhere. What's wrong, the boy asked, maintaining steady eye contact. I thought I saw something. Mum's right. You're putting in way too many hours. Why are you on the floor? I'm stretching, he said. My back is sore. He pointed. He stared at the boy. The boy gazed back at him. Pleasant, somehow patient. You look tired, Dad. Yes, yes, he said, and backed out the room. A furnace was gone, going out the first week of December. Right after they set up the Christmas tree, Carl stayed at home to fix it. Oh, enough already, Judy said. Call a professional. They sat under extra blankets, but Judy still caught a cold. A repairman arrived late afternoon. Well, he shot the guy, he said. He kept well, the quote that Carl barely glanced at before handing over a credit card. A repairman went to grab his tools and went upstairs to check it on Judy. She had a space heater hanged on high. What, want some medicine? She sniffed. Please. He pulled a cu- her cup of orange to dip with. Where is the kiddo? He's in detention. Detention? He's got, he's so, he's misbehaving. Something normal do he's did, that's good. But the moment he forgot about the cluster of shadows he's seen cling, like a parasite to his young body's son's body. Really? What did he do? I doubt if he did anything. He drowned in the cold medicine like a shot. He tells me that Mrs. Bonner was, has it in for him. Which one's Bonner? And Abigail, Abigail, Barra, she said, you know, those things, if you talk to him once in a while, that you are smiling about. For God's sake, Carl, he's being punished. He sat with her until the menacing threat didn't even sleep. Took hold, it took only a few minutes. Carl made it home before the prayer was complete. A Carl saw something new in the boy's green eyes, rage. He let the bed boy slide past him and walk past. He sulked to the stairs and extend to his bedroom, through his hideout. He thought he felt following his son. For a moment, he even imagined fine, having a fatherly talk while sitting together on the stair bed. But Carl's slouch and sudden expression felt kept down, him downstairs. Let him calm down. He thought. Let him out. Let him get it. Uh, get him 
he thought, kept him out, kept over himself. You may talk, and he kicked on, kicked in an hour later. A piece of here on Saturday morning, Carl stood in front of the bedroom mirror, face covered in white shaving foam and orange. Grazed in one hand, the room was full of white steam from the long shower he'd taken. Father's statement had gone cold. She not Carl, what do you want? What did he want to talk to us? Carl dressed and went downstairs. He recognised the butcher man in the kitchen. You've been in Daniel's house investigating the dog's death. We met across the tree, street, the man said. Carl, I, the fact of closer to the man's hip. I remember, he said. He joined Jordy. What? How could you forget a thing like that? Detective said it had been a homicide, Jordy said. The man nodded. At your boy, your son's school. Carl said, oh, my God. When I saw the body, I couldn't help thinking it looked a lot like my dog at your neighbour's. Carl thought of the black notebook he kept in the drawer in his office. A journal of dead animals. I need to change the title. You tell me, maybe shorten the journal of the dead. You can't say, Carl said. I could do say. The man was torn out inside out. Carl's passed on the streets. Outside, the tires hemmed against the asphalt. So, you're visiting us. Why, he said. What do you suppose it is? Something evil, Carl said. What? The teacher, what is the killed? You, who said your teacher? Uh, I assumed David Bonner, the detective said. Algebra, detention, a cold, very nice, cold eyes, bright eyes. The detective made small talk for a long time. He asked what grade Carl was in he had been, when he was up. He was one of the Bonner's students. The cops instinct Carl thought it would lead him to Carl, to all three of us. There was no evidence, no case to take to court, but he knew. Just like your neighbours in Munbrook had known. Just like Daniel knew. Carl, a different kind of boy. His clear by disturbing, unblinking gaze. He was dangerous. May I speak of him? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to upset him, Julie said. Let's break the news about his teacher fast. A man's right hand moved towards his gun. Carl thought he was going to draw on fire. He dipped it in his pocket like and pulled one out of a witness guard. Sounds like a fine idea, he said. Give me a call when he's ready to chat. Nothing serious, just want to know if you ever saw something unusual. Carl thought of shadows so thick that it looked like strips of tar. The detective left and Carl asked Julie, What now? What do you, now you make breakfast? I still feel terrible. He dreamed of a son, he admitted to himself, that it felt like the first time in his life he longed for an athletic fate. A student one that loved to watch football games on Sundays and didn't mind his father's company. You don't mind spending the day in your room, kiddo? He told the boy after breakfast. We're spending time together. Why? Because we are father and son, we should. But what do we, what do, will we do? Cole didn't know. I love you, Cole. Automatically, the boy replied, I love you too. But what are you going to do? There's enough white stuff on the ground to make snowballs. You think you'll beat me a snowball before? I know I can. Grab your coat and see what's see what you got. Boy wanted to hear the sound of their laugh, mixed together in the cold air. Carl remained stoic, ever to his gaze unbreakable. But boys hate sports, you know. You felt pretty good. That is weird. What is hanging out with you? I mean, we've done anything like this for a long time. That's my fault. It's okay. I'm getting kind of cold. You want to teach me how to play one of your video games together with the gun-down zombies? Baking only to warm bowls of canned soup. The sun set early in a darkness filled room. Carl rose to finish his plan and a fat murdered his family. I'm going to check it on your mum. Carl. Kay. 
curls over to smash the zombie into chunks. Why don't you meet me in the kitchen? We'll dig something up for dinner. The bedroom smells like sweat. Julie was on her back, sleeping. He pulled the blanket up to her chin and kissed her forward. Feathered head. Good night, he whispered. I love you forever. Then he swiped her bottle with cold medicine and scanned the instructions and went downstairs. Cole made it to the kitchen and Cole set two glasses on the table and filled them with juice. He held deep. He pushed one toward the boy. Your mum will kill me if you don't get your vitamin C, he said. Pick it up. Gulp the juice down. Cole did the same and Cole glanced at his watch. A boy weighed less than Julie. Maybe a buck ten when his pockets full of rocks. He just had four had the full time the recommended dose do not operate heavy machinery will cause drowners to cause a counter drug it didn't take long Cole turned his stove to at night a pilot ticked twice a flew flames washed in a circle he just did an arm blow in the fire do you want to tell me why you got detention oh so that's what that this is about I didn't do anything my teacher's dead Cole's I kept uh, kept I turned it you know already know, don't you? You should have you should have punished me. It wasn't fair. Do you how do you feel? He deserved it. Do you feel nothing? Why should I feel bad? He deserved it, Dad. Why? Carl's eyes went glassy to his body pressure the drug. I'm going to put you to bed, Carl. Then I'm going to blow blow you blow out the pilot light of the furnace. Light is going to fill gas and I'm going to blow up. Headline family killed by forty furnace. No, only the wise of a tragedy. Carl's eyes fluttered close. His head dipped against his chest. Dad, his head belted up. Carl sort of panicked. His eyes were round and frightened. He looked more human than he ever had. I always loved you, said Daddy. Carl slumped his chair. Carl caught him before he hit the floor. He cuddled the boy in his arms, walked into the living room and laid him out the couch. Carl mumbled something and opened his mouth as this called out. Go and see, Carl. It won't hurt, I promise. Cole moaned, Ma. Cole turned to the furnace room. He was almost there when the shadow seized him. They came from all directions, stripes as thick as tar. They wrapped around his chest and torso, shivered around his arms and legs, pinched, pinning him into place. The shadows lifted him off the floor. Then they pierced through his body. They felt like shafts of ice cold wear, and he knew when they retracted. They ripped him inside out. Carl, he turned to, tried to turn the in a direction, but the shadows kept tight, held him tight. I told you it's your job to protect him. The shadows tightened, Cole grasped and tried to breathe. He said, it's a boy. He learned to control it. Cole released him. He, turned, he dropped to the floor and fell over backwards. The shadow tentacles retreated into the darkness. Just like I have, she said. He watched her go to the sleeping boy on the couch and stick a finger to his mouth. The boy gagged. He positioned his head so he could back up the goose. Juice and cold medicine to the floor. Help me get him upstairs, he said. The poor boy is exhausted. 